Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Starting point is a curriculum that we're that we uh, did a pilot project on last fall with about 50 of us. We did table cruise, and we uh, we came through those evenings together. Uh, first of all, we made great connections with each other, and uh, secondly, we, our faith was deepened because of those conversations, because of the teaching, and um, it is a uh, it's a starting point as it's titled for faith. And it allows us to take a look at why do we believe the things that we believe? And I don't know how long you've been following Jesus or if you're following Jesus, but that question is a really good question. Why do you do the things you do? Depending on how you grew up, you were spoon-fed your faith. And depending on how you grew up, you never heard about faith. And many of us are somewhere in between there. Whatever your experience, it's significant and important that we don't just push uh, the cruise control on and cruise through our faith experience. It's good for us to ask questions. It's good for us to dive in and say, okay, I wonder, I've been doing this for 20 years. What exactly am I doing and why am I doing them? And maybe if you've, if you've not had to contemplate that, you should expand your circle of influence. You should expand the places that you go and the people you see and the people you're connected with. Maybe that's part of this conversation over the next uh, seven weeks now that will help you get to a place where you're connected with people that would actually push you to answer that question, to say, hey, you're like this. Why? Why do you do the things that you do? Last week, uh, if you had missed that message, that, that experience, you can catch it on YouTube, Facebook, or you can see our podcast as well um, on our website. So we all have a starting point for our faith, and uh, that starting point would be, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's a good place to start. That's a good question to answer. Who is Jesus? But uh, perhaps you, like me, weren't introduced to faith with that question, who is Jesus? But maybe you were introduced to faith by being told, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And the wrath of God is coming upon you. Maybe you heard it like that. There's a big difference between those two places. There's a big difference between the question of who is Jesus and the statement of you're a sinner. Now, if we spend very much time with Jesus, we will surely get to the place where we, we realize that I am a sinner. Huh. I'm kind of messed up. And so who Jesus is informs us when we get to that point of saying, kind of undone here. I kind of need to get put back together again. I wonder if I can do it myself or can I let Jesus, step into that space. I wonder if you remember, I remember, I wonder if you remember the days of innocence. Like before you were cognizant of your brokenness. 
You know, I don't know what trips you up, but, but for some of us, the mere fact that we are human and we need a place to belong, sometimes that's the thing that trips us up. So when I refer to the thing of, do you remember the days of innocence? I'm talking about the days before you realize that, oh, there are a certain amount of expectations on me. There are certain things that I should do and there are certain things I shouldn't do. And you're asking questions like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Nothing wrong with those questions. But if your whole life is determined on performing so that you do fit and you do belong, that's problematic. That's unsettling to your whole human soul. When we ask the question, who is Jesus? We very quickly get to a point where we see there is a problem. There's a problem. And that's what I've entitled my message this morning. We're week two of starting point, and we're addressing the problem. Maybe the elephant in the room for all of us, the problem. Before we, before we move in too far, let me just say to all of us, whether you're online or you're in the house, to all of us this morning, the great theologian Bono says that every age has its massive moral blind spot. We might not see them, but our children will. Our children will. So here's the thing. I don't do things the way my parents did. And I bet you don't either. I don't do things the way that my children will and do. When it comes to our moral grounding, when it comes to the decisions we make as people following Jesus, we uh, want to give careful consideration to the things that we allow in our lives and the things that we say, no, we won't go there. Here's the deal. We all have blind spots. We all see things in our past, in our history, with clarity. We can see back there really easily. We have history. We can look back and say, wow, why would they ever have done that? And why did they believe this? And why did they act in such a way? But here we are in 2022. And trust me when I say that those things that we allow into our lives that we could identify as being of massive moral craters that we should not allow into our lives, but we might have a blind spot about it. Those are the very things that our children will see. And so as we move into this conversation this morning, I just wanna put that out there, like for you to be thinking about, what are those things in my life? Because when we're following Jesus, we can very easily become accustomed to the way that things have always been done, and this is the way I do things. And we forget that God is constantly at work in our lives, that he is constantly massaging these hearts of ours to keep them from getting cold and hard. He keeps moving us and moving us from one thing to the next, and it's hard stuff. It's not that it's easy to move through these different way, sections of our lives, the different, the different moments in our lives. The beautiful thing is that God is with us and he doesn't look on us with scorn. 
He doesn't look on us with condemnation, but he looks on us with love and he looks on us with grace. And that's the assurance we can have as we step into the hard places. So what does it mean to be told you're a sinner? (laughs) What does that mean to you? Does it make you sit up straight and go, what exactly? What exactly is he going to say about this? Well, look, it's no secret, right? None of us are perfect. We all know that. We all know that we are human. We are flesh and bone. We got, we've got blood running through our veins. We're, we're tangible. We're in the moment. And that means that we don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. But it does seem, doesn't it, that sometimes we would much prefer the word mistake, and we've kind of adopted the word mistake, for things that probably shouldn't be considered just a mistake. Not every problem fits that description. We think of mistake as being an error in action, uh, an error in calculation or opinion or judgment. Maybe it's caused by poor reasoning or carelessness or insufficient knowledge. Like mistakes are accidental, aren't they? It's like a a sixth grader making a mistake on the math test. That's a mistake. Or if you're filing your income taxes and you inadvertently make a mistake, not intentionally, you make a mistake. A mistake is something that we learn from so we don't do it again. But sin, on the other hand, harms our relationship with God and with people. It's our human nature to sin. So much so that if it's left unchecked, we won't stop. If we don't become aware of the sin in our lives, we will just continue down that path. This is human nature. Another example of of something that could be called a mistake by the person perpetrating the mistake is like, have you ever heard like a pastor that had an affair or a leader of prominence that had an affair and they said, yeah, sorry about that mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Or this one, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Like those things, I mean, you talk to the pastor's spouse or the leader's spouse and they probably don't think of it as a mistake. It's not something like, yeah, that's all right, it's cool. Learn from it. (laughs) No, if you're on the receiving end of something like this, this is not so comfortable. This is not so easy to just dismiss. Then there are the planned mistakes, the premeditated mistakes. What do you call that person? Do you call them a serial mistaker? If they just over and over and over do the same thing they've always done, are they just a mistaker? It doesn't quite fit, does it? Sin is an old-fashioned word, and it probably needs to be reintroduced into our vocabulary. In John chapter 8, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 8 that's also going to be on the screen behind me. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is uh, in Jerusalem for the festival of tabernacles. 
and he's been teaching in the temple. And then uh, scripture says here in chapter eight, he says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. So at the end of the day, he returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. You picturing this? Big crowd. Big crowd. Woman caught in the act of adultery. She's kindly brought in and carefully stood in the back until someone could address her. No. No. They brought her in, put her in front, right in the center. Humiliation at its best. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Oh, let me just pause there for a second. When someone brings something to you, something of merit, something that needs to be addressed, what's the first thing you do? How do you respond? What's the first thing you do? Do you stoop down, take a moment? We don't write it in the dust anymore, typically. What do you do? What do you do with that word that's been given to you? that implicates someone else. What do we do with that? Do we take a moment and contemplate about the next step? I love this picture of Jesus stooping down because I don't think the woman was probably standing at that point. I think she was probably, she was probably crouched down within herself, trying to hide, trying to make herself as small as possible. And Jesus stoops down right alongside her with compassion. You just feel the empathy and the compassion oozing out of him. And he writes in the dust with his finger. There have been all kinds of, of assumptions or, or ideas around what he might have been writing. No one knows. But it would be very interesting to know what it was that he was writing. They kept demanding an answer. Come on, Jesus. What are you going to do about this? The, the Old Testament says, kill her. Do you want us to kill her? Con condemnation. Condemnation one on top of the other, heaping it on. This is what the Pharisees and the religious folks were saying. And then he stood up and he said, all right, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stoops down and starts writing again. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. As a kid, uh, there was a song that we sang um, in our community that was called, I think, Neither Do I Condemn You, Go and Sin No More. It was these, it was a song from these words. And I've known that song since I was a little child. But it wasn't until I was older that the truth of those words settled into me. 
the idea that the king of the universe is stooped down beside this woman who has been caught in adultery, caught in sin. Have you been caught in sin and realized that the king of the universe is right there beside you? And he's saying to you, neither do I condemn you. But he's not, he's not like saying, hey, honey, it's okay. It's okay, don't worry about it. Don't get caught next time. It's okay, it's okay. I know you didn't mean to. Those aren't the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus are, go now and sin no more. Go live your life differently. I'm not going to condemn you. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but I came into the world so that you would have life. That you would have life and life abundantly. This is the message of Jesus. That we would live into the abundance that is ours. It reminds me of the story of this woman reminds me of this C.S. Lewis quote. He says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible history a terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. See, Jesus knew that the root cause at the, uh, for this woman to have moved into a life of whatever it was, was it prostitution? I don't know. But whatever was the case, the root cause was not the act itself. The root cause was something more. What was she trying to fill? Like, what were the spaces that she was in her mind and in her heart and in her soul? Because that's what he does for us as well. He looks at us with empathy and grace and love. And he says, yeah, I want to fill all those, those places that are empty. Those places that you're trying to fill up with other things because you want to be happy, because you want to belong, because you're trying to fit in. What are, what are those places in my life where I make choices and decisions not based on what the Holy Spirit is informing me of, but on what my human soul that is needing to be, that is craving. What are those things that I'm trying to fill up that only he can fill? See, we don't like to be branded a sinner. I don't. But the truth is, uh, if we're honest, we can't avoid that. Because the definition of a sinner is someone that knows the difference between right and wrong and chooses the wrong. I wonder if you know anyone like this who knows the difference. Yeah, we, it's all of us, right? We know the difference between right and wrong and we often choose the wrong instead of the right. Uh, fortunately for us, Jesus was very charitable to those wearing the brand sinner. Never once condemning, always inviting. Never a threat of hell, but always a hope for restoration. That's why people were drawn to him. When he walked this earth, that's why the sinners, the thieves, the prostitutes, those on the fringes were all drawn to him. Because of his grace, because of his love, because of this assurance of restoration. 
See, the self-righteous were leaders. They were the ones that got his wrath and condemnation. But sinners, by the way, do you have to be told when you did something wrong? Typically, as an adult, do you have to be told, right? I don't think most of us have to be told. We have this inner, inner sense about the direction we're headed. We know. I mean, you know, did the woman caught in adultery have to be told that she was sinning? I don't think so. I think she knew. Does the guy cheating on his taxes need to be informed that it's against the law? Probably not. See, mistakers don't need to ask for forgiveness. They don't, they don't realize their need for forgiveness. Mistakers need an opportunity to do better next time. Now, if your mistake hurts someone else, you should ask that person for forgiveness. But an honest mistake is one thing. Sin on the other hand. See, Jesus elevates sin to the degree that none of us can escape the consequences. He says things like, you've heard it said, in Matthew 5, he starts this, you've heard it said, don't murder, or if you do, you will be judged. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Whoa. He gets right to the root cause of murder and says, it starts with anger. How many murders happen because someone's really happy with someone else? I mean, think about it. The actions we take and the way that Jesus elevates this idea of or this action of sin is such that none of us can escape. But I love the fact that he follows it up with this insistence that God is on the trail like a heavenly hound dog, endlessly pursuing sinners to bring restoration to the broken relationship that sin has created. So on one hand, he's saying, here's the deal. And on the other hand, he's saying, here's the bigger deal. Here's the deal, you're a sinner. But on the other hand, here's the bigger deal, and I offer redemption, and I offer hope. And you don't have to continue to live in a place of brokenness. You don't have to live in a place of condemnation. See, this morning, if you feel guilt and shame sitting here, let me just suggest that that, that is probably not the Spirit of God making you feel guilt and shame. If you feel conviction, yeah. If you feel conviction, there's, there's a difference there. Conviction can point us to, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to make a change, I'm gonna have to own what I'm feeling right now. And I'm gonna have to move forward with what I'm feeling. What I'm sensing God's saying to me. Sinners need forgiveness. And forgiveness is like the mechanism or the means by which we're brought into right relationship with the Father. I remember one day, and, and I, I know that I've maybe talked about this before, but I remember one day, and it was just such a, a clear memory for me, sitting on the front steps at my mom and dad's house when I was just a little boy, and I had done wrong. And it was sort of, in my little kid mind, it was a sin wrong. And I don't know if you've ever sat with a person in authority over you and recognize that you need to confess something that you really didn't want to confess. But I have. 
And I think you probably have too. But in this instance, it's very clear to me that as I sat there, first of all, you have to work up the courage to say something, right? To acknowledge that you've, because what if the other person doesn't accept what you're about to say? What if they condemn you instead of release you? What if they guilt trip you even more than you already feel? What if they shame you instead of receive you? Oh, what do I do with that? So I'm sitting there on the front steps with my dad, and I don't know what I did, but it was, uh, it was worthy of punishment, apparently, because as I sat there, I sat up close to him, and I remember whew, taking a breath. And I remember opening my mouth and trying to force the words out, and eventually it came out. The confession came out. And I don't know a thing about what my dad said. What I know that my dad did was put his arm around me and pull me in close. That's my experience of a loving heavenly father saying, yeah, I know. Some of the rest of you may not have had that experience with your earthly father. And I recognize that this morning. So maybe my story can help your story to help you think differently about how Jesus looks on you this morning. If the solution to our sin, if the solution is forgiveness, and the way to experience forgiveness is through acknowledging our sinfulness, then it stands to reason that restoration is just around the corner from grace applied. Faith has a starting point, and the starting point of faith is to answer the question, who is Jesus? And when we answer that question, now we're faced with addressing the problem of how is it now that I deal with my inadequacy of my humanity and the sin that so easily entangles me and you and all of humanity. So I don't know where you're at this morning with all of this, but here's what I believe. I believe that when we're at our most desperate, when we are at a dead end, when we hit a roadblock, when we realize we are not our own savior, Jesus does not condemn us even though we are condemnable. But he looks on us. He looks on us with favor. And he looks on us with grace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. 